we're in Titus um, chapter 2. Probably won't finish it, but we're there. Uh, I know we're not going to finish it because I don't plan to. And uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to come back again. You see the same thing in Timothy, talking about uh, the household. You see it in Ephesus. You see it a lot. Peter writes about it. So in passages like we come to today, where we talk about, you know, men and older men, younger women, I mean, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and some household duties, and slaves, you, we can't make the mistake, and we do this so often. We look at our culture today, and we take the standards of our culture, by the way, which aren't good, you know. We act like the standards of our culture are so advanced and so good, really not, I mean, I, you know, when, <laughs> this is just Baptist pastor in me, but when, when, when you've got a large percentage of the population think it's okay to slaughter children even after they've been born, you are not an advanced civilization like you think you are, okay? I mean, just so understand, the people back then will look at us with condemnation and judgment. So that's, I want to point that out. But when you come to certain issues, we, we tend to want to take our template of life and place it over what happened in the first century. And uh, it just doesn't work well that way. And churches are, are bad about, you know, Paul makes a definitive statement about relationships back then. Okay, we tear that out and we apply it today like, the, you know, like it's, it's absolute. The principles and concepts are always there, but you've got to understand the world they're dealing with. And I say this a lot in, with, with family relationships. And, and I always try to bring this out when I'm with Ephesians or any time you need to see about you know, how women and men, how husbands and wives interact and all these things. Understand what the New Testament, what Jesus did. He transformed a culture. He elevated women to a place of equality with men. Now, it was always that way with God, but I'm talking about in culture. I mean, you think about in the New Testament, the first people to see an empty tomb and the first person to see a resurrected Jesus were women who had no legal standing in the world in which they lived. Women flocked to Jesus because he made them understand they were equal with men. Paul said that when it comes to God and his value, there is no difference between a Jew and a Gentile, a slave or a free man, or a man or a woman. In value to God, they're all equal. No person is subordinate in value to any other person. Now, what happens is because we live in a fallen and sinful world, and when sin enters into the picture, relationships get damaged in functionality, in priority of the way things go, then society to be ordered properly, that sometimes takes place. That you will see a person who will have responsibilities that are different from another person. Men and women oftentimes have different household responsibilities. That was a part of their culture. Now, you remember this. In that day and age, outside of Judaism and the emerging Christian movement, women were, I don't, when I say they're considered a little more than property, some, that's, I think that's an overstatement, but, but women basically had no rights outside of the rights of their husband. And in that society, they were submissive and subservient by law and culture to their husbands. Now, if you're very wealthy, Oftentimes, you know, the women were able to leverage some things to make, to get more stuff done and what they wanted because it just made the life for the husband easier. Uh, we, I, you know, I don't know if that happens in your house at all, but sometimes, you know, you just give in because it's easier that way. That's what happened. But in culture, every part of culture, women were by law and by the society dictates a little more than property. Children had absolutely no rights in the Roman world. The father could put the children to death 
without recourse if that was what he chose. The wife had no say. I mean, the children basically were almost subhuman somehow, sometimes in the way that they were treated. Every aspect of culture recognized this. What happens in the Christian faith is you see a changing of the understanding of those relationships, why things should happen and not happen. I'll bring that out in a minute. In terms of slavery, which is so different than our American concept of slavery, where you know we took a subgroup of people, uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way, we just took a subgroup of people, there's groups and subgroups, we took a subgroup of people and we bought them and sold them into slavery, like they were cattle. Well, back then, slavery was much more prominent. Slavery oftentimes was a result of war. You, you, you lost a war, you know, and what they would do is, you know, and you wouldn't pay money, and, and you know, there was not more assets to give the victor, to the victor go the spoils, to the spoils were oftentimes human capital. That's what they would take. Well, if they didn't kill you, because they wanted to thin it out, they would take people as slaves. Back then, because of poverty was rampant, and there was no aid, there was no way legally, uh, there was no government to, to help you out. Um, if you didn't have family, you might sell yourself into slavery. You might sell your children into slavery. By selling your children into slavery, two things could happen. One, you could get some money to survive. But secondly, your children theoretically could have a better life. If, and a lot of times the slave owners, you know, uh, they, they worked alongside their servants. I mean, they, it wasn't like you think in America. It was a different culture. So you, you need to understand this. When we look at some of the things we're going to see and just and scoff at it, try to understand the culture and what Paul is actually doing is elevating elevating the value of people and the breaking society norms. And what happens, this is the most important thing, what begins to happen through the writings of Paul and Peter and the teachings of Jesus over time, Christianity began to realize certain things. If men and women really are equal, then they should be equal in everything. If, if, if slavery really is wrong, if, if there's no difference between slave or free, then why did slavery even exist? You understand, the abolition of slavery is a cause of the Christian worldview. It is not because of any other worldview. Don't kid yourself. You go, you, you look at other cultures and the way human society is structured. They don't value life that we do. It is in Western civilization, through the movement of the Christian faith, that the value of women, the value of slaves, the value of children has been elevated. Because we recognize that's how Christ looks at it. So I, I say that out there to understand where we come. So having dealt, with, um, having dealt with false teachers to some degree, he says, Paul in chapter 2, but as for you, this is important, hey, Titus, you, I sent you there to create to solve a problem. So here's what you got to do to start off with. You need to proclaim or preach the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. The word sound doctrine, the word sound comes from a Greek word that means healthy. The root is the word for our term hygiene. It's used in some places when Jesus healed people, they were declared sound or healthy. They were declared okay. So you want healthy doctrine, sound doctrine. It, it, is, it is what we would say today, the, the, the technical term is orthodox, or it is the correct traditional in the positive sense understanding of the Christian faith. The teachings that are matter. Bible is the word of God. God created everything there is from nothing. You know, Jesus, the incarnation, the resurrection, the belief in the supernatural, uh, the empowering and the filling of the Holy Spirit. I almost said it, John. I didn't say it. The filling of the Holy Spirit. It is all the things that are 
normative to the understanding of the historic Christian faith as we find in the Gospels and in the rest of the New Testament. Teach what is sound. Now, Paul's given him some of that doctrine. So what is sound? He's going to go into this. So he talks about older men. Remember, the false teachers, in, in part of the struggle, were these people who were, were Jewish, who were coming and teaching things and messing things up. He gave instructions what the elders were supposed to do. The term older men is the same fundamental basic word for elder, but it's not the same thing. It's not the exact same. And it's, it, I, I think it, it, I don't think it's old men. It's not old men. It's just, it's just a little bit older than norm. I'm at, a, I'm at a place in my life where I realize I am not as young as I used to be. This is the, but I'm not old, like, you know, some of you. <laughs> but I'm older. I have found myself, I look at it this way, I am in that sweet spot where wisdom has taken hold. <laughs> but no one seems to listen. <laughs> so he says this. In the, and he said, be temperate. And dignified. Isn't that true? I, I find that, you know, <laughs> sometimes I think dignified means move slowly but stand up straight kind of idea. But it, people, people need to look at you and say, you've lived a long time. You've learned some lessons. Have your dignity. Be, be under control. It says self-control. Be, be under your control. Temperate. Dignified. Self-controlled. And, and in these things, sound in faith and love and perseverance. So you need to be the type of person that a younger person comes to you and says, old timer, tell me about life. What do I need to know? What, what is going to help me? There's nothing worse than somebody who's old who, who acts like they're a frat boy in college. Oh, they, they have no sense of dignity. They have no sense of temperance. You, you know, it's one of those things that's not always easy to describe, but you know what I'm talking about. You look at them and, and you respect them. When you walk into a room, there should be respect. You should demand that respect. And when people, when you talk, it should be that people understand, okay, this guy, this cat knows more than the rest of us combined. And it's, and it's that mindset that they begin to see you. In a church, there needs to be a place that when someone's a little older stands up to speak, they know it's not going to be full of emotion. They know it's not going to be foolishness. They may not totally agree, but they understand it's coming from a good place. There needs to be the love in their life for people. You ever met somebody, they get older, they're just, they're, no one wants to be around them. They're just cranky. There's no sense of love. There's no sense, of, no sense of that respect they need. And they need to be persevering. They need, people need to look at you and say, man, you have, you have persevered. I don't, if I look at an older person and say, man, they had a lot of problems in their life, and every time they had a problem, they messed it up, made it worse. I don't want that. One of the things I look to a lot of times, I, I, it's funny because I remember, not funny, haha, but, you know, I was 30. I remember I wanted to turn 30 because I thought when I turned 30, I'd be dignified and people would give me respect because I hit 30. Because I hit, you know, like I'm on the back hill, backside of life at that point, you know. And it didn't happen. I grew a mustache thinking that might help. It didn't happen. But, and then, and then you know, you, you just find yourself, though, at some point thinking in, in, in life. When you're young, you're always thinking they should listen to me because they're old and antiquated. 
And then you find yourself saying, they should listen to me because everything they're doing, I've done twice and learned from it. And I think in a church, it's good to have that sense of wisdom. And one of the things I strive for is I enter the late vestiges of somewhat middle age and begin, I think, the long journey of being a little bit older than other people. Is I want to be wise. I want to have wisdom. Be dig- have dignity. And I want when problems come to be able to be the voice that understands how to work through it. That's what he's talking about here. Then he talks about older women. He says, likewise, just like the older men, be reverent in your behavior. People need to look at you. And don't be a malicious gossip as opposed to any other kind of gossip. Don't say, well, I'm not a malicious gossip. I'm just a gossip. No, nah, it goes together. And don't say, I don't gossip. I just share prayer requests. That doesn't work either. And then don't be enslaved to much wine, which I think is funny because a lot of the girls and ladies I went, I think the girls I went to school with are at a point in their life where they do enjoy their wine, I think. But I don't, you know, understand moderation. In other words, it's, it's being enslaved to moderation, being enslaved to much wine. It's saying there's ought to be a place in your life where you've learned to be in control of yourself, your emotions, the things you say. Just like the men, there needs to be wisdom. And there's a reason for that. And, and I think we miss this sometimes in, in, in church life. Paul said, and he's talking about the church, teaching what is good. Now, I know we say, well, women aren't supposed to teach because we get that from, you know, Timothy where, you know, he's solving the problem and says, I don't allow women to teach. And then we had this carte blanche rule that women can't teach men. Obviously, we don't follow that because if you've been in some of our, you know, we still have a few traditional Sunday school classes. We have ladies teaching men and, they, and the men don't seem to have a problem with it. And uh, in connect groups, that happens. So obviously, that's not a sticking point with me. And I know some, there are some in life who would find me to be a heretic and probably not worthy of being a preacher. And in, in, in their small little church within 35 people, they're probably correct. <laughs> I know that was tacky. But I always find comfort in that. <laughs> Teaching what is good. Now get this. So that, 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 that translates to claw, hint of claw. Uh, uh, it's a Greek word that speaks of either always important, either purpose or result. Here's, here's the purpose of that. They may encourage the young women to love their husbands. Now, one of the important things for the older women is to help the younger women. By the way, one of the important things for the older men is to help the younger men. You know, that, that goes across the board. But we don't have a problem with that. We just assume, you know, the old guys are going to be teaching and work on the younger guys. But all of this kind of fits. You know, women, I don't know when you become an older woman. I have, trust me, never figured that out, nor will I ever. I, that's my, my job to say, hey, you're an older woman. You need to help the younger women. I don't do that. It's not, I value what I have in terms of life. But, you know, I know one of the important things that, that Debbie always wanted to do, and especially in our staff, is just be there for, you know, all the staff wives, regardless, especially the younger ones, to help them. Uh, one of the things that she did well, I think, is when, when people struggled, she could interpret me to help them understand how I was to your wives so that he's not that bad. If your husband comes home crushed, it's okay. David still likes it. I mean, is that, and I think an important role for, for all of us is that, it is hard. You know, I can instruct all of you as pastor. 
I don't want to meet with 25, 30-year-old women and try to help them through life. I'd much rather a woman slightly older or a lot older do that. I mean, it's just the way it is. There is, I think, <laughs> there's certain wisdom in that, but not only that, there's a decorum involved in a church. Churches function better when men help men and women help women. Now, sometimes they help each other, but I, listen, I don't care what the culture says. I'll never understand what it's like to be a woman, ever. I can put on pumps and a skirt <laughs> and makeup, and you can call me Bernice, and I'm never <laughs> going to understand. I can get on the new app that charts all of the things that women experience. I'm not going to get it. I know I'm not supposed to say that in our culture, which is why I'm doing a series on our culture, because sometimes our culture is stupid. But so help them. And what is to do? To love their husbands. So why should you teach them to love their husbands? That's not, that's not love like eros, the erotic. It's, it's, it's that tough love that says you got to submit a little bit. It's the, you know, it's, it's, Here's what it is. The word for love your husband and love your children, it's one word. It's, you know, like the husband is phile Andreas. The word phile, it comes not from agape. It's not that. It's, it's, it's the affectionate love, the friendship love. And the same thing for children. It's really help them learn affection is the idea in the family. The tenderness. Now, you think that's natural. I don't think it's not always natural. But help them learn how to deal with their family as the person who really runs the family. You get that? I mean, let's be honest. My wife always ran our family. I came in for the big decisions, like where we went to eat <laughs> and what we were watching on TV when I get home. I, had, I took the piggies. But the day-in, day-out stuff, she ran that place. Even when she worked, she ran that place. And that's what it's talking about. Um, and be sensible. Teach them to be pure, workers at home, kind, being... Subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Now, I know we hate that subject to their own husbands. Remember, in that culture, they had no choice but to be subject to their husbands. Christianity wasn't going to come and say, all right, women, guess what? You don't have to be subject to your husbands. They wouldn't want that. Because without their husbands, who was going to protect them? You understand? They were vulnerable. That's not not that women need protecting. I'm not saying that. In that culture. I'm not talking about our culture today. A lot of independent-minded women. Some of you are unbelievably independent-minded. You don't mean a man, and you make sure we all know it. I got it. But back then, there were very few. That was not normative. You were vulnerable. And so in that culture... Across the board, in the world as a whole. That's how it was. And what Christianity did is gave you a different reason. Paul says in Ephesians, you subject to your husbands as to the Lord. Because if you're a follower of Christ, your motive changed. Notice it didn't say, it didn't say, now, you husbands, you need to help your wives and force your wives to be submissive. I hear, I hear God saying, my wife ain't being submissive. I said, well, I don't know what to tell you, but don't you use that against her or she never will. You want, you want to ruin your marriage? Gosh, you tell your wife you need to be submissive. If you survive what gets thrown your way, you won't survive papers that are coming later on. This was to help bring stability to the home. And the motivation for it all changed. 
The motivation was because of faith. Notice all of that stuff. You don't want the word of God to be dishonored. So, that was, that was part of it. Christianity was new. It was already radical. Don't go messing it up by trying to, to change culture over one generation. You don't change culture over one generation. You change it over time. So that's what they were saying. And then he says, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. And that's all he really says to them. But the idea is simply this, that the young men would learn from the older men. Yeah. He says to Titus, and it's kind of... And it, the seventh verse is kind of connected to the sixth verse. So it's like Paul saying, now Titus, urge the young men to be sensible. And oh, by the way, since I'm talking to a young man, that's how Paul would look at it. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. This should be all of us. Purity in your doctrine. Notice he says dignified. Sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. He's, he's just saying, look, Titus. Look at your beliefs. Look at your behavior. Believe the simple truth about God. And behave in a dignified, honorable, self-controlled way. All throughout the New Testament. Here's what you see. You see, be beyond reproach. Both in the church and outside the church. Inside the church, people need to respect you. Outside the church, they need to respect you. Oh, man. I'm, I'm at a restaurant the other day. And... Uh, Sweet young lady comes to me and, and says, takes my, what would you like to drink, pastor? I'm like, oh, you know who I am. I said, you go to my church. No, I go to another church. <laughs> but she's come to my church before. And she didn't leave because of anything wrong. She just wants to be at a church at plant in town and excited about that. I said, okay. And I'm just reminding her, David, be sure you handle things well. So when she got my Sweet tea. We got my tea order wrong and bought me sweet tea instead of unsweet. I had to be really kind. I'm sorry. I think I messed up and accidentally told you to bring me sweet tea, which I never order, but I did. No, no. What I'm saying is, all, always, how people look. I, now, I realize, because I pastor this church, and people, a lot of people come through here, yada, yada, yada. I always have to be, the only time I'm not careful is, when I drive, it's because I have tinted windows, and I don't have to. <laughs> but other than that, always, and all of us, but our motivation should be because this is the right thing to do. I want to be sure how I talk to people and how I behave in front of them is always good. So I work hard to always be friendly in the world out there. I'm not always friendly. Sunday morning, between services, you catch me. I know I'm not friendly. That's your problem. Not my, you know better than to bother me. On Sunday morning, when I'm thinking about worship services, if you come up to me and I'm not friendly, now if I'm standing out there greeting people, I fake it, all right? Other than that, if you just say, hey, Dave, I want to talk to you, I'm like, no, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not even going to try to fake it. That's, your, that's on you. But most of the time, I'm, you, know, you want to be friendly. You want, you want that idea of respect to come through. It's critical to the church. There, there are some people, I look at you and I'm like, please don't tell people you come to our church. 
I know you come, keep coming, maybe it'll rub off, but just don't tell them you come. <laughs> the problem is when you have to say that to a committee meeting or a deacon's meeting, that's when it's embarrassing. So he says in, continuing dealing with the household, verse 9, urging slaves. I know this is a tough subject, but realize, they weren't changing slavery. In the Roman world, it's estimated, I hear all sorts of numbers, but a minimum of 30% or a third of the people in the Roman world were slaves. They say in Rome itself, it may have been half. Even if you change it, what's going to happen? You know, even even if you said tomorrow slavery was gone, where were they going to work and get jobs? So Christianity wasn't about, remember, some of them sold themselves into slavery so life would be better. So we all know slavery is bad, and Christianity never condones it. But it deals with the reality in what, what the early writers in the Gospels and the New Testament, what the apostles and Jesus, and Jesus especially, but the apostles did, is they laid the map. They laid the foundation, the groundwork. They set the blueprint for how to get rid of slavery. But notice what it says. Be subject to your own masters in everything. Be pleasing, not argumentative. It's not going to do you any good. Now, the, the temptation was for someone to come to Christ to think, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not a slave in the eyes of God. No, you're not which you were in the eyes of Rome. So you being argumentative wasn't going to help. Do, don't steal anything, but showing all good faith so that all will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. In other words, your motivation for living your life, for one, you want to do these things so hopefully your master will treat you better, but also because of your faith in Christ. Now, let me say this. I've heard many a preacher, and this is, I completely do not agree with this. Try to use the parts of slavery and say, well, since it doesn't apply to America, this applies to an employee, employer. No, it does not. Now, you shouldn't steal from your employer. I get that. This is not where that comes from. You cannot take that world of slavery and equate it to employee-employee relationships. It is bad, bad hermeneutics or interpretation. And it's poor. And it's lazy. And it's sloppy. And it's not what you should do. What you should understand is, how do you take this concept that existed in the culture back then? And what I like to point out is one of the important things from this is that when you are in a culture in conflict with Christ, the important thing to do is not give in to the culture, but nor is it to overly push the culture aside in terms of the people, but find ways to make sure the gospel is presented properly. Make sure the way we live our lives in all situations is upholding to the glory and honor of God. And so what you see in all of this, it's hard to take some of this and just take it and just turn it and pour it into our culture. You've got to understand what is at stake. And what is at stake is the way we behave. And the things we believe, how do we live that in a way that is consistent with Christ and penetrates the culture we're in with the gospel? And at the same time, we're not trying to just tear the fabric of, basic fabric of society apart. Now, I know there are a lot of things we should oppose that are immoral and ungodly, and we should do that. Abortion is one of them. The whole gender things. We've got to be aware of this. Difficult. We have to deal with that with students now and all that. So we, we have things we do to approach it. You know, but we still will always be firm in what Christianity does and does not accept and teach. 
But in all of that, if, if you're not careful, you become so critical of the culture that no person who's connected with the culture wants to be a part of who you are. How are we going to share the gospel with them? So you have, to, you have to understand how that, it's that fine line you kind of straddle of not embracing the culture, but always engaging the culture with Christ. And it's exactly what Paul is doing with Titus. It's exactly what he's doing. As a follower of Christ, you have to live a certain way, period, consistently in the home. So that's kind of, you know, I look at that, you know, and I encourage, you know, in marriage, I encourage people to go read Genesis chapter 2 and understand that a husband and wife are supposed to be helpmates. Yeah, I realize that more now that I don't have my wife anymore, that I lost something that I needed in life. And God takes care of it. I get all that. But if your mindset is immediately deciding who is submissive and who isn't, who's in control and who's not, you've missed the whole purpose of of relationships. Sin damages relationships that cause us to have to fix them sometimes with those things of orderliness. But the goal should always be so much mutual love and respect that, that you are functioning on a level where sin doesn't impact it. And that's really a lot of what Paul's trying to get to. Get to a place in your family where you function in such a way with loving and caring and respecting because of who Christ is, that sin has no impact on your family. And the culture has no impact on your family. You get that all right, you'll be okay. 